pray with me. Dear Lord, please bless all these tithes and offerings that we are giving to you today, and please help everyone to have a great rest of the week. In your name, amen. pass from me watch the soldiers gather round him in this dark Gethsemane see him stand before old Pilate hear the crowd cry crucify watch our blessed Savior suffer see him bow his head and die watch them take his bleeding body see them lay him in the tomb watch them wrap him in the grave clothes they anoint him with perfume now they'll wait they'll watch worry though they knew he had to die and while they waited for his promise Christ was very much alive see him take the keys of Satan watch him shake the gates of hell see Join me up on stage this morning. All right. Wonderful. Ooh, you got a card and another card. All right. Well, listen, as they are as they are making their way up here, just want to mention again to the parents that this week, uh, again, there's no older children's church, so just up through kindergarten when we dismiss. Um, uh, and then the, the older ones will stay in here for the worship service. All right. Well, good morning. Um, if you will... We're going to need to direct our attention to the screens one more time. And I'm going to give you a few minutes to look at this picture that's, that's up there. And then I'm going to ask you some questions about it. So look at that picture and just kind of look at it for a minute and try to get it in your mind, okay? So just keep looking. Let's see. I'll give you, I'll give you just a few more seconds here. You see all the things that are there. I'm not going to tell you what to look at, but you just, 
you look at the you look at the picture and just get a uh, an image in your mind. Okay. All right. You you think you know what's in that picture? You, do you think you see what's in that picture? Everybody like. You can nod, that would be yes. You can shake your head, that'd be no. Okay, I see, I see more nodding. Hold on, not, not yet. Now, I want to ask Mr. Ryan to take the picture away, and I have a few questions for you. You ready? All right. So, how many balloons were in that picture? Anybody know? How many? No? 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 That's it. There were two balloons in that picture. Okay. Now, here. What color was the cat? Anybody know what color the cat was? What? Gray. It was a gray cat. Good job. Now, there was, a, there was a little girl. She was riding on this little toy animal in the, middle, in the middle of the picture there. What kind of animal was it that she was riding on top of? Anybody know? Do you know? A horse? It was not a horse. It wasn't a dog. Do you know? It wasn't a reindeer, it was a duck. It was a duck, yeah. Hey, how many swings were there in the picture? How many swings? No, there was just one swing, good job. What color was the boy's overalls? Anybody remember? Just tell me, just tell me. Red, all right. Now, that same little boy with the red overalls, he was playing with something, what was he playing with? Just tell me. It wasn't a bouncy ball. It wasn't a yo-yo. You're just guessing now. It was a soccer ball. Now, I wonder if we can put the picture right back up there for just a second. You can look back. You can look back at the picture. You see he's wearing red overalls. There's a soccer ball at his feet. One swing, a gray cat, two balloons, you know, just like I told you. And there's a little duck right there she's riding on. Okay? All right. Take the picture away, and you guys look at me for just a second. Now, it would have been easier if I told you what to look for, right, ahead of time. Or if we had the picture, and I said, what color is overalls? You could look up there and see it, right? But in those few seconds I gave you beforehand, you didn't really know what to look for, did you? You just you looked at the picture, but you didn't really know what you were looking for. You didn't know what kind of questions I was going to ask. Well, listen. The Bible says, the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 13, that this, this is the Lord speaking. He says, when you look for me with all of your heart, you will find me. When you look for me with all of your heart, you will find me. Now listen, sometimes we can be looking for all kinds of things and we miss what's important. Even the adults here, sometimes we're looking for the Lord, but we're not really looking with all of our heart and we might miss him. We, we, we get distracted about so many other things, and we miss seeing the Lord. Um, <clears throat> but the Bible makes it very clear. It's a promise. When you seek the Lord with all your heart, you can find him. Okay? And that's my prayer, is that you will seek the Lord with all of your heart, and that you will find him. Let's pray. Father, I, I love that promise. I love that promise. You're not hidden from us, but Lord, when we seek for you, when we seek for you, we will find you. And Lord, I pray that as people seek today, that they sincerely uh, seek with their whole heart, that these children will seek with their whole heart to see you, to find you, and Lord, that you will be made known to us. Be made known to us even right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand again.
may be seated. Good morning, folks. I don't know if you're like me and you got up and you saw the, maybe you saw the weather report or stepped outside and you had to go back and look at the calendar. Is it really April? Uh, is it after spring break? Is it really? Uh, but you know what? It's two weeks in a row and no rain on Sunday. That's a, that's, that's a, that's a blessing. There was a time when I worked for an electrical contractor, and so we would go from, from job to job, or at least I would, and I thought, you know, I've noticed that there are crews that stay together pretty often, but me being this young guy uh, and a, a weak mind and maybe a strong back, I keep getting moved from job to job every time they need the heavy wire pulled. Um, but there was, there was one job that I happened to be on. It was, uh, we, we, were in, we were in Macon at, at Mercer University. We were installing a generator. And uh, so anyway, we were there. My, my crew chief, his name was, was Wayne. And Wayne was an easy guy to work for. You know, as long as you did your job, everything was great. Which I think most bosses are that way. But anyway, I digress. But Wayne, one particular day, man, he just, he got, he got almost fighting mad. And... Uh, Come to find, what are you? What's the problem? He couldn't find. He couldn't find his screwdriver, and he needed a screwdriver. So Wayne couldn't find his screwdriver anywhere, and he was looking all over the place for it. And I walked around. And I said, Wayne. I looked at him, and then about that time, I said, Wayne, stop for just a second. Look in your hands. And there was a screwdriver. <laughs> he was so upset. Now I know none of us have ever done anything like that before, right? Perhaps with a pair of glasses, maybe, you know, looking everywhere for your glasses and they're on top of your head. Or uh, I had uh, one day somebody called my wife and was talking to him, and, and Lindsay was telling me this story. And she said, uh, I, she was on the phone, and the person on the other end, I can't name that person in case they just randomly come across this on the internet. But they said, okay, I've got to go, but I can't find my phone anywhere. But, you know, sometimes we're looking for things. It's right in front of us, but we just, we just miss it. We just miss it. And, and today we're going to be in the book of Luke. We're going to finish up the book of Luke. You can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going we're gonna to kind of finish up Luke today, and then next week we'll begin a series in the book of Acts. And so we were in Luke last week with the, the story of the resurrection, and, and today the story of... of Jesus appearing on the road to Emmaus. And then next week, we're going to pick up with the second part of Luke's writings in the book of Acts. And, and that's where I plan to be for the foreseeable future is in the book of Acts. And so I would ask if you are able to stand in honor of reading God's word, Luke chapter 24, we'll begin in verse 13. And just by the way, I typically study with the New American Standard, and so that's what I have in front of me. Um, I realize that not many of you have that copy of God's Word in front of you, but that's what I'm reading now, um, and I very well may, may move over to the Holman in the near future, but just, just to let you know about that. So anyway, Luke chapter 24, verse 13, and behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place, and it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, and their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to him, what things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened, and also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they also had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. 
And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. He, and, and they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Father, thank you for your word. Please bless the reading of your word. May it teach us, instruct us, and guide us today. May we leave here as changed people because we've been in your presence. It's in the life-changing name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I find it interesting that the, the, the book of Luke on, on here in, in chapter 24 begins, but on the first day of the week. But on the first day of the week, things are different. But as we continue, as we look at this passage on the road to Emmaus, Jesus approached these, these folks, and um, some, some authors have, some, some theologians have surmised that even though it says the word men, that in the original Greek, it just, it's not masculine term there. It could have very well been Cleopas and his wife, but... There were, there were two disciples, nonetheless. That there were two disciples that, as Jesus approached them, they were already talking, and, and he, he just asked, Hey, what are you talking about? What's going on? What's the news? What's, what's happening lately? And ironically, they turned to him and said, Are you the only one that, that, you're the only one here that doesn't know what's happened in Jerusalem? Now, that's very ironic considering he was the actual centerpiece of everything that had happened in Jerusalem. But as they were, as they were telling the story, they had all the facts right. They knew everything about the story, which, just as a side note, helps us understand that the crucifixion resurrection is, is, a, is a historical event. It really happened. It, was, it actually happened. It wasn't something that was just conjured up by people who wrote the scriptures this this really took place and it's just a lot of irony that they would ask this question but as you move on down and and as they they kind of tell the story and, and they and they and they they talk about what had happened in the last few days verse 21 i believe holds a a key for us this morning there's a key there it says that we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. You see, all of their hopes have been placed on this Jesus, the Nazarene, as the one that would redeem Israel. But it doesn't look like it's happened. He was led into the city. He was brought before Pilate. He was brought before Caiaphas. He was crucified and buried. And then just this morning, there's reports that his body is not there. And it, it sounds like the, the ladies have lost it. They're saying there was an appearance of angels talking to them. And we were hoping that it was he that would redeem Israel. Now also in the book of Luke in, in chapter 2, you see where, where Jesus is brought into the temple. You have Anna who says, who makes a proclamation over, over the baby Jesus' life that he would be the Redeemer. And so it's interesting on the bookends of Luke's Gospel, we have the Redeemer to be, and then the Redeemer at this point that we don't think quite accomplished what he was looking for. And in verse 24 it says, uh, when they went to the tomb, that they didn't see him. They didn't get what they were looking for. They Apparently he's not the redeemer. Apparently he, his body really wasn't there. They missed him. And they didn't, they didn't find what they were looking for. And so it, it almost seems that they've, they've given up. They've given up hope. They've given up hope of a redeemed Israel. So it begs a question, at least it does for me, well, what exactly were they looking for? 
And so there's, there's some, there's some uh, documents outside of Scripture that can help us with this a little bit. The Dead Sea Scrolls are very helpful in this. Uh, a Jewish historian, uh, Josephus, was helpful in this. But there were at least four different sects of, of Judaism. There were the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. And as we look back over the history of Israel, if you go back and you, and you just scroll through the Old Testament, what you'll find is that oftentimes Israel's success hinged on, on, on their obedience and their adherence to the law. Whenever something like that, whenever, whenever they would stray from the law, whenever they would stray from the law, uh, the uh, success of Israel would, would fall. They would often be conquered by other, by other lands. But there would be a judge or a king or a prophet. Someone would come and, and help restore Israel. They did this in a number of different ways, but, but these, these men and sometimes these women, they, they're referred to in, in Psalm 105 as the anointed ones, the one that, that God would use to, to move Israel back into a right relationship with the Lord and and, and, their, and, and, the, and then secure their freedom. But for 400 years or more, there had been virtual silence. Since Malachi wrote his, you know, penned his last word, there really had not been a prophet. There had not been a judge. There had not been a king that would really establish the kingdom of, of Israel as it had been before. What were they looking for in a Messiah? They were looking for someone, they were looking for someone to redeem Israel. Looking for someone to put Israel back in a right standing. And there were at least three different kind of concepts of what this Messiah might be. Three different, three different maybe roles that this Messiah, <clears throat> this, this Messiah might play. And the first one is that it will be a king like David. You see, King David had expanded the borders of Israel with, with, with multiple conquests. And, and the, the borders were far-reaching during his Reign. He had triumphantly established Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And he had moved the Ark, had moved the Ark of the Covenant back into within the walls of Jerusalem. King David was a very successful king in this regard. Now, he was not a sinless king. He certainly, he certainly had his faults. But as far as the kings of Israel, he did a great job and ushered in a wonderful time for the nation of Israel. And so people perhaps were looking for a Messiah like unto David, someone that would be like a king, someone who would establish Israel as a powerful political and military kingdom. And they would encounter, however, they would encounter a very difficult enemy, a very tough enemy. In the first century, the Roman Empire, the strongest and most technologically advanced military power of the world, had ever known. <clears throat> but they needed someone to come in and establish the kingdom of Israel. Now, there's, there's a quote I want to share with you from John Collins, and I will read uh, more of the quote, but, but what is shared on the screen is, is very important. It says, The portrait of the ideal king that emerges from this corpus is sketchy but consistent. He is the scepter who will smite the nations, slay the wicked with the breath of his lips, and restore the Davidic dynasty. And listen to this. He is expected to restore a dynasty rather than rule forever himself. So you see, they were looking for someone to come back and, and restore. They were looking for someone to come back and restore that kingdom that had been there like under David, a king to come and establish Israel as a kingdom. But then secondly, there was, there was also someone who not only would establish a, a kingdom, but someone that would come, perhaps under the, the line of the Levitical priests, someone like Aaron, a priest like Aaron, and so how would this happen? How would someone be a king and a priest? Uh, it's often understood that maybe there would be two people that would rise together. And the two of them would be, a, would be messiahs. And they would, they would rule and, 
and reign together. Each would lead in his own way, but together there would be a final deliverance and a restoration for the nation of Israel. This priest would lead, would lead Israel first by restoring a right relationship with the Almighty. So rather than going out and conquering lands, the priest would help the nation of Israel come back into, into an atonement relationship with God. He would offer the atonement for the sins. He would interpret the law. The nation would need both a priest and a king unless, unless perhaps unless perhaps there is a third idea of the Messiah. So maybe they're looking for a king. Maybe they're looking for a king and a priest. Maybe they're looking for someone like Moses. A prophet along the lines of Moses. You see, Moses really embodied both a political prowess and a spiritual understanding. I mean, this, this Messiah would have to face the Roman Empire. And they're, like I said, they're a technologically advanced army. But now, Moses faced a pretty powerful army in his day as well. He, he faced down the, the powerful Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And so, Moses was able to almost be that king-like figure. But it was also that through Moses that God gave the people the law. And Moses led the people out of slavery up into the promised land. So maybe, maybe this Messiah is a prophet like Moses, someone who would be able to face down all the enemies of Israel, but someone who could also help them restore that right relationship with their God. A prophet like Moses. Marvin, Marvin Pate says, they were looking for one who would lead Israel to a new exodus from bondage to reestablish the covenant and bring a better revelation of God. That is, a new law or a more accurate interpretation of the old law. And so Israel was looking for a Messiah. They were looking for someone to come and establish the kingdom, a king. Looking for someone to restore their relationship as a priest. Or maybe someone who could really embody both, much like a prophet like Moses. But really, the question here is, that I gather from this text, so what about Jesus? What about Jesus? Is he, is he a king like David? Is he a priest like Aaron? Is he a prophet like Moses? Well, yes and no. But Christianity's central claim is a very bold claim. Because Jesus not only meets one of these criteria, he actually, he actually meets and fulfills all three. You see, Jesus, Jesus accepted the title of Messiah. Perhaps this is not seen any more clear than in Matthew chapter 16. As Jesus is speaking with the disciples and he asks them, he says, hey, who do men say that I am? And, and they give a list of, of answers. And finally he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, who is often the first one to speak up and gets it wrong a lot of times, Peter speaks up, but he gets this one absolutely right. He says, you are the Christ, which is just the Greek word for Messiah. You are the Christ, the Messiah the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And on that confession, I'll build my church. You are the Christ. He didn't stop and step away and said, whoa, 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 Peter. Let's don't put that title on me yet. He said, you're absolutely right. I am the Messiah. Peter, uh, when, when, when Peter confessed that, Jesus took that title upon himself. <clears throat> Frank Stagg, who wrote New Testament theology, says that his kingdom would be established by the giving of life, not by the taking of it. It would be by a cross, not by a sword. 
Jesus accepted the title Messiah, but he interpreted his role as Messiah in terms of basic Old Testament figures. Now listen, especially those of the suffering servant and the Son of Man. I'm not so sure that the first century Jews thought that the suffering servant or the Son of Man would be the Messiah. But Jesus explained in this passage we just read, was it not necessary for the Christ, for the Messiah, to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? It would be through the suffering that the Lord, that, that his Father would raise him up. You see, Jesus is a king. He did not wield a sword, but he did wage war against demons. He resisted Satan, and he defeated death, hell, and the grave. Jesus is a priest. He did not continue those old, those old atoning sacrificial systems from the Old Testament, or the multiple sacrifices that had to happen daily, weekly, or annually. But he is the perfect and final sacrifice to remove men from the curse of sin so that as many as would trust him, they too may receive salvation. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came as that sacrifice that whoever should believe would have eternal life. But he's also a prophet. He did not come to destroy or rewrite the law. He actually came to fulfill the law. Something that no one else, no one else could do. Only the perfect, sinless Son of God. And many Jews that day missed the Messiah. Now I want to be careful in this passage to, to, to recognize, because I believe Luke was, was careful in this as well, he said they didn't miss him because they didn't recognize him with their, with their eyes. In fact, he, he, he talks about that. He says their eyes were prevented from seeing him. What they really missed, however, was that there wasn't just this physical blindness from really being able to see Jesus for who he is. There was a spiritual blindness that was there. There was a spiritual blindness to not see Jesus for who he is. They had the facts correct. They knew what had happened over the last three days. They could retell that story, but they missed the fact that the Messiah was Jesus from Nazareth. They missed it because Jesus didn't conform to their preconceived notions of who the Messiah would be. And it's easy to look back and say, man, they missed it and they lived it. But the question becomes, what are we looking for? What are you looking for? Is it possible that we too could miss the Messiah? This king, this priest, this prophet. You see, I think we do sometimes because we look to others and sometimes we look within ourselves to fulfill those roles, this Messiah. So just quickly, I want to look through these, these areas. As we look, sometimes we look at others and sometimes we look within our own selves. Are we looking for a king? Sometimes... We look to others, perhaps a political leader. I think oftentimes we put more effort and enthusiasm into political leaders, policies, and law than we do the Great Commission. And as a church, we should be ashamed of that. We really want to change our culture. Let's change the hearts by sharing the gospel. You know, I, I, told, the, I told the students one time, and I had to confess afterwards that, that this was a lie, but I posed it. I just, I just proposed that there's a law going through the state legislature right now. And if it passes, you will be banned from carrying your Bible in the local uh, public schools. And, uh, man, there, there was a little bit of, little bit of uh, uproar. And, of course, I told them, no, I made that up. But here's the deal. There's not a law banning you from carrying your Bible into public school now. Would you do that? Would you sit at the lunch table and read your Bible? Would you pray openly? But, hey, let's not just talk about the children. Sometimes we get upset. Sometimes we as adults get upset just because somebody doesn't say Merry Christmas. But my question is, 
the other 11 months of the year, do we go about talking about Jesus in the public square? Do we do that? Do we take the opportunity to share the gospel? Or are we looking for our political leaders to set things right for us? Sometimes, though, we're looking at a, at a king within our own selves. And, and my question is, how do you react when things don't go your way? How do you react when things don't go your way? You know, I heard someone say one time that a lot of people's concept, uh, concept of God is that they would really love to have a God who's a little bit bigger than they are, a little bit stronger than they are, but not quite as smart as they are, not quite as wise as they are, such that we want God to perform miracles, but only the miracles and only do the things which I understand. That God would always do things that are, is, is understandable to me, that he would never confound my wisdom or my knowledge and do things that don't make sense to me. But that's not who God is. God's wisdom is far greater than mine or yours or the collective body here this morning. Sometimes we want to be king of our own little world. Or maybe you're looking for a priest. Now I know there are a lot of other religions, a lot of other faiths that have an intermediary between God and man. They're looking to someone else to maintain that relationship for them. But you know, I, I think about the fact that the veil was torn uh, upon Jesus' death. And I thought about, you know, if there's a mediator between a husband and wife, oftentimes that's a bad deal because the relationship is not strong. We don't need to look to someone else as a mediator for us. Jesus Christ has already fulfilled that. Now, on the other, on the other end of the spectrum, we do adhere to this, this idea of a priesthood of a believer. But can we take it too far, or maybe we misunderstand, misinterpret what that means? I think if, if our faith, if we believe that our faith alone just earns us something, then what we do is we begin to substitute ourselves in for the high priest that is Jesus. What I mean by that Name it and claim it. <laughs> Believe it and achieve it. I've, I've often heard that faith isn't believing that God can, but it's knowing He will. When I stop and I look at that statement, it, it, to me it seems like, well, what it sounds like is you're saying that faith is telling God what to do. I, I have to be very careful with that. I have to be very careful. This past week, I was on a mission trip, and one of the activities that we got to do was go down to a local truck stop. And we, we broke up into different little teams, and, and we had a, a, a paper bag that had some snacks in it and something to drink, and we had a Bible that uh, our missionary there called them trucker Bibles. It was, it was a New Testament. Uh, it had a picture of a truck on the front, and on the back it showed the plan of salvation by calling them, rather than uh, step one, step two, it was exit one, exit two, that kind of thing. But... Um, so we went, we, we, met, we met these guys or girls as they, as they came into the truck stop. And, and there was one particular uh, group, there was, it was, there was a couple, a husband and wife, and I was there with, with uh, my son Josh and Eli Mazin, and, and we, were, we were talking with them and shared with them and gave them the, gave them the gift and then just asked, hey, is there, is there a way that we can pray for you? We'd love to pray for you today. How can I pray for you? And the lady just looked at me and said, we're always looking for the increase. I wasn't really sure what that was asking. We're always looking for the increase. Um, as you know, the, the Bible says, Jesus says, that if, if, if the world hated me, how much more do they hate you? I don't know if that's what she was looking for. I didn't think that's what she was looking for. So I, I quickly just, just prayed and, and, and quoted John 10, 10, that we would have life and have it abundantly. But... Always looking for the increase. Always looking for that next blessing. Always looking for a new season of life, a change in my life. These, these words that, that, that come about, it's, it, are we taking the role of Jesus, that, that priest, are we placing ourselves in that role, or do we simply rest that he is the priest? He's the one that intercedes on our behalf. So we make our request to him, we place our faith in him, and he is the one that intercedes on our behalf. But maybe we're looking for a prophet. We look outwardly. We're looking for a prophet. Whenever we do this, or maybe we place ourselves as a, as, as a prophet, 
I think that sometimes we can become overly concerned with, with piety and with adherence to the law, maybe even making up new laws to go along with, with the laws that are there. Uh, and, and when I see this, there's, there's really no freedom in that. There's, there's no joy. The word that gets tossed about is, is legalism. You know, that, that everything becomes a primary issue. Every, everything becomes ultimate. And there's just, there's no joy. Uh, I, I heard it described that, that the legalist is someone who, who will not cross over the solid yellow line driving down the road, but they'd run a pedestrian right over. And, and you know, sometimes that's the way it can feel when we, when we become so legalistic in our understanding of, of what this means to walk the Christian life. And we're looking to, 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 to prophesy uh, uh, over other people. Sometimes, though, you look so far within and you think you're, you adhere to the law so much that we think we're just too bad. We're too evil. We've done too much to come to Jesus. You don't know what my life's been like. I, I don't. But I know the Lord knows you. And I know the night that he was betrayed, sitting around the table, was the one who would betray him. And he said, this is my body. This is my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Drink from it, all of you. Even the one that would betray Jesus, he said, drink from it, all of you. You're not too bad to come to the Lord. You're not too evil. You haven't done too much to come to Jesus. When we seek any of these things apart from the Messiah, we simply miss out. We simply miss out. Jesus came as prophet, as priest, as king. He didn't come into the world to establish an earthly kingdom. There were many, many men had done that before, and many men had done that after. Jesus didn't come into the world to continue that Old Testament sacrificial system. Really? Any priest would suffice. Jesus didn't come to destroy, change, modify the law. There were already several groups attempting to do that. No, Jesus came to establish the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came as that final atonement to pay for the sin of the whole world. And Jesus came to fulfill the law. He is the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king. He was, he is, and he forever will be the Messiah, the Christ, through whom people can come to know the Father, through whom we have salvation, through whom we have eternal life. And my question to you this morning is, have you missed it? Have you missed Jesus? as the Messiah? Have you missed Jesus the Christ as the one who conquers sin? As the one who intercedes on your behalf? Have you sought out others? Have you looked within yourself to be your own king? To be your own prophet? Let's pray. Father, I come to you this morning thankful for who Jesus is. Thankful for all that he has done. Lord, Peter was very clear. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us can recognize that this morning. And just like, just like the disciples who were talking to him that, that day on the road to Emmaus, we may know all the facts. We may have all of those events ordered in our minds. But Father, until we turn to you in repentance, we place our faith and trust in Jesus and your grace comes and fills, fills us up. Lord, we'll just, be, we'll just be people that know facts. So Lord, would you be the king of my life? Would you be the priest that intercedes on my behalf? Father, would you be 
prophet. The prophet who gives us the law and write it on our hearts. Lord, may we honor you today in all we do and say. May we walk with you and follow Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing now. As the Lord speaks, listen and respond. seated for just a moment, and I'll ask uh, Bob and Lori Page, Gabriel and Sarah, if they, would, if they wouldn't mind, um, just, just come forward for just a minute. Uh, we want to recognize you. Bob leaves here just a little bit uh, to go to Afghanistan for eight months, is that right? Nine months? And, um, and we just want to pray over them. They're part of our church family. 